You're listening to Shrink the Virus, a podcast exploring the psychology of everyday life during the pandemic and touching on all the important topics you need to know, well, according to two psychiatrists. And of course, like all things wonderful in this world, this is a Triple R production. Don't forget to subscribe. Hi, and welcome to Shrink the Virus with me, Rob Seltzer, and... Steve Allen. Caught him off guard. Today is April 18. It is uh, 10.39. Things may change uh, between now and when you're listening to the show. Today we'll be speaking with David Opat, who is the Vice Principal of Wellbeing at a large Melbourne school. And he's got some great advice and some great reflections on the absolute 180 degree turn that we've taken in education uh, because of COVID. Um, but before we get there, let's just touch base on how things are going, man. Uh, start with your personal life. How's your week been? Well, it, it's been pretty good. I, I got to say, I've I think you and I are corresponding so much now, <laughs> and talking so much <laughs> that my phone automatically knows I want to call you. Like Siri comes up and says, "Do you want to speak to Steve Allen?" I say, "Okay." <laughs> um, it's been pretty good. I've been baking a lot. That's one of the things about having time. So my daughter and I last night baked some bread, which was just magnificent and i got to say i saw that on i saw that on facebook and gee it looked good <laughs> hey you didn't like it though <laughs> you're supposed to push oh, hard sorry. oh shit sorry <laughs> i'll go back <laughs> what about you man what's the news you know i'm still super busy because yeah i'm, I'm it's sort of weird hearing everyone's isolation stories because yeah. of course i'm still going to work every day and it's and in fact if anything it's flat out although paradoxically it's Really quiet at the hospital patient-wise, yes, but it's yes. really busy organisation-wise yeah. with all the changes that have occurred. And I've found that I go through this cycle where, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I get increasingly stressed and my mind's going increasingly fast and my sleep gets worse. Then I sort of get to Friday and it's the end of the week and I take a big sigh of relief, relax, Saturday mornings feels, and Sunday are really nice. I go on bike rides, put it out of my head, and then I go back to this cycle. So, but you know, it's, yeah, it's, um, but I'm, I'm as good as gold and no one in my life or my family, my hospital's had zero COVID in patients or mm. staff so far. So yeah, it's, it's sort of weird. It feels like twilight zone. It feels like, Ah, it just feels strange. There's a surreal feeling, isn't there? Especially when you go out into the streets and they're empty. It's a yeah. weird feeling. Did you know that we've had one positive case of COVID in the last 24 hours in Victoria? That is astounding, isn't it? It is. It's uh, Well, it puts us in this really weird position now where everyone's starting to question what's going on, which I, I suppose, you know, this is part of the problem with prevention. People always say, when they work in the prevention industry, they say the biggest problem is, is if you're successful, everyone says it was a waste of time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, because you can't win, it, it's a weird sort of feeling. Hey, you know, so now the um, talk is around the road to recovery coming out of COVID. And um, I'm not sure if you've heard of this uh, report or this draft report called Roadmap to Recovery, <laughs> which is very interesting. And what's happened is. The, um, the government has gotten around about 100 of Australia's top minds, you know, researchers and all those sorts of people, and put them together to craft a report about how do we get out of this current state that we're in. You know, how, you know what, what, what things, what strategies should we do? And the really interesting thing about this report is that the experts are all anonymous. So... So that when they author stuff, like when they write stuff, um, it's judged on its merits, 
not on the author. Because you can imagine that, you know, if um, a major professor writes something and a PhD student writes something, that the professor might get more of uh, more spotlight. But now, because it's all anonymous, everybody gets the same kind of scrutiny. I think that's really terrific. And so I've just been looking at this report, and so people have used names, pseudonyms, when they're writing the report, just, you know, between each other so far. And the names like Quokka 806, Galar 232, Fairy Wren <laughs> 2719. Two, what would you choose? Called, I'm choosing Steve Allen 101. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so. <laughs> See, I'd go for a name like... Um, Everything is bullshit. Um, hashtag. <laughs> hashtag everything is bullshit. That would be my name. Um, I don't know if I like that. Look, that is really weird because part of the, I agree that it's great to judge ideas on their merits, but when you're in an uncertain time, you also want to know that the person that you're listening to has gone through this before and studied it for 30 years and has got a doctorate and, you know, they've got there for a certain, you know, so I will, like when I hear Sharon Lewin, now I don't, Professor Sharon Lewin, she's the director of the Doherty, she's on the news all the time. The moment I hear her come on, I, every, I quieten everything and I listen to every word she says. Whereas when I hear, and now we've got senior lecturer from such and such university in the middle of nowhere, who's got some ideas on what the government should do, eh, I turn the music up a little. Do you know what I mean? So maybe I'm being a bit of a, oh, maybe I'm being unfair on. No, I think you're valuing experience. Like I say, when Sharon Lewin comes on the TV, same thing or the radio, I would listen. She could give me cooking advice. I wouldn't care. Exactly. She's got experience. She's balanced. And she explains things so well it's really complex idea as well so i agree you've got to i think it's important to um lend credibility to experience oh siri siri just came on if you heard that i think she was siri, stop it can i say another thing though about yeah. this whole roadmap to recovery yeah. look at the end of the day science is looking at the past in order to predict the future right that's what it does we look at past observations we apply them we try and predict the future um but the problem is we've never gone through a pandemic we've never gone through something we've got 1929 the flu but you know other than that 18 18 baby 18 <laughs> whatever um we've got uh you know we've got bugger all information to go on for one and for two we're trying to balance that off against another area of science the science of the economy what economists say the that's not a science well it's such a dodgy science but it's not but our science is not that much much better at this stage you know and as they say predictions are difficult especially about the future um we just don't know and so all this crowing about we're doing really well or this country's doing really bad at this stage is nothing more than speculation we won't know what worked until 18 months to two years from now true but i do feel i mean somewhat patriotic when I think, look how well we've handled it here in Australia. When I look at that curve, you know, that goes up and then it goes down, I think we've handled it really well. I mean, God forbid we could have been in a much worse state like, you know, in, in Italy or in the States where it's just terrible. But what would you say then if, I don't think this will happen, but what sure, would sure. you say if in two years time, someone says, oh my God, look at how well it went in Italy where they had 50,000 deaths from COVID and they had 10,000 deaths from poverty over the next three years. Whereas look what happened in Australia where they had um, 1,000 deaths from COVID and 150,000 people went homeless and it's estimated that yeah. 90,000 yeah. people died yeah. from the long-term implications of poverty. My po I don't know, but my point is, how, how do we know until we get to the two years time whether we've done better or um, Trump's America's done better? You, you look, you're absolutely right right and no one will know and uh, until we get there but i think we've got to celebrate the successes while we've got them 
Oh, look, true. And it's wonderful that we haven't got people dying. And clearly, the number one priority has got to just be to save lives. Or, so I'm not suggesting we should change our pathway. I love our pathway. Yeah. All I'm saying is we shouldn't crow too loud until okay. down the track because we're trying to predict the future in the most uncertain time in history. Triple R. So joining us is David Opat, who's Vice Principal of Wellbeing and Head of Junior School at a very large, prominent school here in Melbourne. Good day, Dave. Hi, how are you? Um, well, look, thanks for joining us. The first question we've got to ask you is, what's the mood like amongst school teachers nowadays? Give us the vibe. Um, I don't think the mood is great, I have to say. I think that uh, distance learning has caused a lot of stress amongst mm. teachers. Um, I think some might have had the idea before, you know, oh, this will be nice. I'm just going to sit at home and I'll just post some lessons and I'll be on video with my kids and it'll be a pretty chilled experience. But uh, the report actually I'm getting from teachers is that they're probably working harder than they ever have in their whole lives. Can I ask Dave, it's, um, it's uh, Steve speaking. Dave, can I ask... Is the stress more related, how much of the stress is related to the difficulties of online education and how much is related to the naturally the fear around kids coming back to school after the holidays and potentially catching COVID? So to deal with the second thing first, I don't hear almost any worry from teachers about COVID-19, about the disease. It's, the stress is all from um, the process of distance learning. Um, I think there's a couple of factors in there. One is that no teacher can start teaching in distance learning and pretend that they're in the classroom. And there's a huge mind shift that needs to happen for teachers because you just can't stand, sit in front of a video and talk for an hour, you know? And it's, it's like a lot of things in life. You can't get responsiveness from your audience. You can't read what people are thinking. You don't know if they're engaged. You can't easily ask questions to kids. Um, and so I think that that is very hard because you, it's unilateral. You're sending things out and you don't know what's coming back. So it's the adaptation to distance learning. I think also that the other thing is that you are online for hours and hours and hours and people, parents and students are emailing you and questioning all the time and at the same time you're trying to plan your lessons and keep up to date and all these sorts of things and i think you don't get any downtime is the issue particularly dave um i've transitioned to do my teaching with this is with doctors and medical students via online teaching and i, I exactly what you were saying it is like you are on for that hour you are just totally on yeah. And the responsiveness just isn't there. Like I was saying to Steve last week, you know, I crack jokes in a classroom and I get a laugh or whatever. And now I don't. Steve seems to think my jokes aren't that funny. But, you know, you don't get that reactivity that you used to get. You know, and I used to hand out treats like, you know, chocolates and mints and things. You can't do that anymore. And you, 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 there is that sort of thing that's lost from the teaching, isn't there? A hundred percent. I mean, education, thankfully, is a million miles from chalk and talk. You know, we don't um, look, you know, we don't spend our time standing up in front of the classroom, you know, being what they call the, the sage on the stage. So it, it, it doesn't work like that, which means that 
teaching is constantly interactive and you're always asking somebody, you know, what do you think and what did you think about what that person said? And especially when you're talking younger children, I think sometimes we have in our mind that we're talking secondary, but especially when you're talking primary, primary children in a classroom would not go for more than three or four minutes without adult intervention, right? An encouraging word, somebody walking past, a look, something. And, you know, all of that is not possible. And it makes it really, really hard. And also the other stressful part, obviously, is the role that parents need to play now. Yeah, yeah I, I was just thinking that. I love that term, Sage, on a stage, by the way. And I can under, and I can see what you mean. You know, trying to ch- online is a completely different environment. Um, and you know, decades of skills and practice and learning trying to transition quickly must be hard. And then that point you just raised, as well as that, you've now got essentially, if you've got a classroom with twenty odd kids, you've now got a classroom with twenty odd kids and twenty odd parents. Yeah. What? What? Um, what? How does that, you know, how does that sort of mix up the whole situation, having the parent as an intermediary in the learning? Um, well, it, it, that's been really interesting because, say, for example, we write um, for parents uh, in the primary years a, a lesson plan, right? And we put it all out in dot points. And it all seems to make perfect sense to us. But we don't get a universal positive response from parents who say, I don't understand what this is. What, what does this mean? For us, we don't realize we're talking education and it's all just, you know, exactly how we speak and what we do all day. And I think that's been a very hard thing to translate. Um, I think also, you know, we don't have a situation here where parents are just sitting, waiting for to be a school assistant. You know, parents are under incredible stress from their own situations. They're trying to work. They have other children as well. They're trying to run their house. Um, And also the stress that they're feeling because a lot of their businesses are in trouble or their jobs are in trouble. And at the same time, we're saying, can you spend hours um, with your child assisting them to learn? And, And those factors all coming together are just terrible. Dave, one of the questions that we had in mind to ask you was how can parents help? But it seems the other way around. You know, what can teachers do or what, can schools do to help parents? So, yeah, I mean, look, the first thing is every school has chosen a a model of distance learning. So some of them, for example, have gone, you know, six periods a day of the teacher being there and guiding them. That works a bit better in secondary. Primary, that's very hard to do because, again, we don't teach in that model. So, for example, you know, modern education, normally what you'll do is you'll start a lesson off, you might have a hook, you might have activity, then you'll break kids up into five groups and they're all rotating around and they're bouncing off each other and they're creating things. That process you can't do. So when, so what's hard then obviously is trying to come up with lessons that are really creative and don't need much adult intervention that the kids can carry out independently. Mm-hmm. And I think moving into a sort of a slightly different area, one of the things I think a lot of parents are experiencing is the various levels of independence that their children possess. And Mm -hmm. these are not things that parents normally see (laughs) at home. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've got kids at school who every three minutes they want reassurance. They want to be told you're on the right track and all that sort of thing. And parents haven't seen that before. And they're like, oh, my God, I have to be with my child the whole time. And you go, "Mm, yep. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
So, uh, can I just, just a little aside on that issue, yeah. you know, because I'm reflecting on how hard it is. So I'm thinking to myself, we're going to go through a period where the kids' education just is not as good as it would be if they were face-to-face going to school. Yeah. So my question is this. How much can we tolerate without long-term implications for the kids' education? Six months, one year, three months? You know, I know people used to say, ah, primary school, you know, it doesn't matter if they miss three months and you take them on an overseas trip for a sabbatical. You know, how much do you genuinely think we can miss without the long-term effects? Uh, Okay. Well, uh, my mind is turning towards the medical phrase that you guys would use, which is arrested development. Um, So... I'm not talking the TV show, but although um, I love the TV show, TV yeah. show is wonderful. But um, there's going to be a bump in everyone's education, but it's everyone around the world. So yeah. people are continuing to learn, but we will be, whatever, however long this period of time is, they're not going to learn at 100% of of what they normally would. So, you know, there will be over time a, a catch up. I believe, but um, we can't say that there's going to be no effect. And I don't think anybody can say that distance learning is really good and it's a perfect model and it's just doing everything we need. Do you know, Dave, I reckon this particular cohort, the 2020 cohort of school kids and university students are going to be researched and followed up for the next 50 years to look at the long-term implications. Because like you say, we, we don't quite know. We know it's going to be different. And look, there's one other thing that you talked about, which I really noticed, and you actually articulated it beautifully. What happens in a classroom is people bouncing ideas off each other. That's right. And you just don't get that in distance learning, do you? No, you, you don't. You know, one of the things that's been going around my mind is, you know, you always had these futurists saying, you know, one day we won't have schools <laughs> and everybody will be sitting at home and learning via computer. And, you know, that's where society is going to be. And I... I think that's the primary thing that's been in my mind the whole time saying, no, it's not. I think if we've learned anything from this experiment, it's that um, learning um, virtually is not a good idea. And one of the things I'm actually hoping, I mean, I've got two kids at university and I can see that they do a lot. You know, they record the lectures and that sort of thing. I hope the pendulum swings violently back in the other direction and we get rid of as much virtual learning as possible and to say, no, let's get back to education being all about human interaction. Gee, that's really interesting. So, Mm. yeah, you think the net result is going to be that this is worse and we might have a bit of a wake-up call? Because, I mean, of course, the university sector is really worried that of the financial implications of everything being online and that, you know, the loss that it'll have. So that's amazing. Um, Can we move to the parents and what they should be doing? You know, are there tips or advice and stuff that you can say, you know, how can parents make this as useful and smooth a process as possible? Yeah. So I think, I mean, the first thing I'd go to is structure, which is um, parents should have a structure for their day. And, you know, school should start at a certain time each day and there should be regular breaks um, and not just recess and lunchtime, but I think, you know, it's a, a break every lesson for 10 minutes or so. Go and get a drink, go and do some exercise, whatever it may be. I think structure is the, the most important thing. Following that, you know, they need to be encouraging of their child to be independent. 
you know, and this is obviously in the primary area. In the in the secondary, I think again, um, the main thing there is to check that their child is remaining focused throughout mm. because we've we've got a big assumption here that everybody from say year seven on jumps on the computer, listens to their teacher, and all that. And we know lots of stories about you know teach kids muting their teachers and not listening and going off and doing things and you know, there's an assumption that the kid is sitting at the other end of the computer. And I think parents have to look at that and say, well, is my child doing that really? Um, and are they keeping up with their work particularly? Dave, um, as you pointed out, it sounds incredibly stressful for, for teachers, you know, parents as well and students. What kind of support are teachers getting? So um, for us, for example, we last term did seven days of distance learning and we ran surveys of parents and students and um, teachers and we yeah. got information about what their experience was and then we've made adjustments so for example the the main thing that we realized in distance learning was we are actually setting too much work right. we didn't think that that was going to be part of the process but what we found is just in the process of teachers designing lessons they're probably asking the kids to do more work than they normally do. Yeah. So that's been something to, to reduce, to help the teachers we need to reduce the work. We've yeah. also looked at um, reconfiguring the week so that they have more time to plan because it's what I was saying before, which is if you're online all day and responding to students and parents all day, you actually don't get your normal planning time. And yeah. say, for example, you know, in a teacher's normal schedule, they might be face-to-face -face with a class two-thirds of the time and one-third of the time they're planning and planning with a partner. That one-third is suffering. And mm. I think that's you know, particularly causing stress. Yeah, that's the same in the medical profession. So many stuff, so much stuff's online now. Everyone's got my email. Yeah. So I'm getting, <laughs> so stuff that would normally just go to the administrators, like can Steve change this time? Can this happen? Yeah. Can this happen? Can I get a script? All that sort of stuff that would normally be handled by an administrator is all coming straight to my email. And it feels like there's no downtime anymore. It feels the same. That's exactly right. You know, the, when I've been working from home, I, I'm on my phone and I'm on the computer and literally, I've not had the experience yet during the day where I've not been on a call and another call is coming through during that call. It happens. Can I then ask, phone call. you know, for us then, and for probably the parents, it's the same. I wonder about the kids then, and I wonder if they're spreading the work out during the day. So what I guess my question is, should they work from normal school hours, whatever, nine till three, and should they do homework afterwards or should they just, you know, for this period, just fit it in and then have your downtime separate? Yeah. So, so to me, it, quality versus quantity, I would prefer that the kids did, um, say, in the primary space, three to four hours of quality work and that they weren't working from, you know, 8.30 to 3.30. I think that they should do just three or four solid hours of different subjects. In the secondary space, I think they would be working a bit longer and because the natural mode for secondary is that they'll learn something at school and then they'll work on it at home. So I think, yes, secondary kids can be doing homework if you want. Um, but again, I think both sectors should have reduced workload. Hmm. Dave, at the end of the day, when school finishes, um, what's your advice for families? Because, you know, 
in pre-COVID times, there was lots of after-school activity. There was lots, you know, sport and stuff like that. Give us some advice for families and kids. So going back to what I was saying about structure, school needs to stop at some point. It shouldn't just sort of roll on and you sort of go and do something and come back to it and all that sort of thing. I think it should stop and there should be a definite downtime. And then, yeah, I mean, I think that we need to take very seriously the normal, um, you know, balance, lifestyle balance things that we should, which is making sure that, you know, the sleep and the nutrition, but also especially the exercise Mm. and mindfulness. I think, you know, at my school, we do a big emphasis on mindfulness. And I think one of the, I think mindfulness is now more important than it ever was because I think that is the one thing which is going to allow kids to leave their houses if you want. Uh, I always quickly, you might define it better than me. I always tell people mindfulness in a nutshell is essentially meditation with principles of Buddhism about being in the moment. Is that large? Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I would certainly say that. I think it's, it's, it's where you allow your brain to focus on one or two things and remove the normal distractions. And again, um, I think it's, I think it's very much about your imagination and that's what, especially with children, I love the mindfulness because that's where you can say, let's go to the beach. Let's go and experience the beach. Let's go to the forest. Let's go wherever we want. That sounds fantastic. Can I ask you on a practical level, um, are all the schools, you're in Melbourne, obviously, as far as you know, are all the schools opening partially for, you know, children of emergency workers and or whatever it is, or sorry, frontline workers, whatever they are? Yeah. Um, I've heard of many schools. I, I couldn't speak to if all of them are. Um, the opening for the children of medical professionals is, is is not the difficult one. It's the next group of people where there's really complex family situations, um, single parents with three kids at home who are trying to maintain a job. Um, there's, you know, and obviously the government's spoken about kids at risk and that sort of thing. But I think there's a group that hasn't been spoken about much, which are the people that are under very um, a great deal of stress from distance learning. And it's not because the parents are uh, medical personnel. It's that their life doesn't really um, allow them to be that teacher at home. Um, I think that's really tough. But getting back to what you're saying, I think lots of schools are doing lots of very good things to make sure that um, we're taking care of those kids so the parents can do what they need to do. Dave, one final question that we ask all our guests is what's one thing that you are doing better now in COVID times as compared to pre-COVID times? Um, Okay. I think the main thing I would say is about attending to people's experiences. So in getting, in implementing distance learning, listening to the experience of parents, teachers, and students. I think, you know, often in your day, you sort of think, oh, you know, I know what's going on, a lot sort of thing, and, you know, and you have all your assumptions and all the things you've built up from your experience in life. But because this is a totally new situation, I think one of the things that I'm hopefully doing better is really listening carefully to the experience of all the different groups in this situation. Um, because I think that's what's most needed, which is to really try and understand the world of each person. 
Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Shrink the Virus. You're listening to Dave Opat, who was, is the Vice Principal of School Wellbeing and the head of the Junior School at a large Melbourne school. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did enjoy it, don't forget to tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Just by the by, we have a Facebook page called Shrink the Virus and we have an email called shrinkthevirus at gmail.com. So feel free to send us comments or questions from either of those spots. Uh, Rob, anything you want to say? Big thank you to Beck, Mia, Grace and Michael at 3RRR. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. 